0: Last week, I believe on page 10, uh, and for Brother Don out there who I know is online, I did send your uh, notes, so those should be in your email. Um, but we left off looking at some of the structural um, things that exist with regard to the faith. And remember, the faith uh, looking at uh, a life of the believer reliant upon the promises of God, and we've uh, kind of established that. So. I say that again, it might end up on a test that we might have. I would, uh, If I were to wager, that, that might be one you might want to remember. So as we look um, back to the last of where we left off, I believe we we're on uh, uh, Roman numeral 7 at the bottom of the page in uh, point D. And we were looking at a couple of these occurrences with regard to the faith that happened in Jude. Now, uh, I think we actually looked at them, but I'd rather just go back over it now. But as you think about uh, this book of Jude, this little one-chapter book, uh, you see a lot of interesting things that are wrote there concerning these false teachers and how they had entered in uh, among these people, as they often do, and the need uh, for Jude to write unto them uh, concerning the need uh, to contend for The faith. And so uh, he originally wanted to write to them concerning uh, the shared or common salvation, but there was a more pressing need that they have a true appreciation uh, for the faith and start contending for it. Now, as I said last week, this would also lend credence to uh, the fact that a part of the faith is this struggle that we have against our spiritual enemies. And so, as you think of not just Satan, but the world system. Uh, and your sin nature as well, uh, these are at view. But let's bow in a word of prayer and we'll get back into that. We're going to close out with the faith and then we're going to start looking at our next uh, topic, our second to last topic, which is faith and activity. But well, let's bow in a word of prayer. <laughs> Father, we're grateful uh, for this day and uh, grateful for the grace that you've provided to us. I'm grateful uh, that you've given us so great uh, salvation, perfectly laid out for us um, that we can uh, grow into uh, and mature in uh, day by day and that uh, we don't always get it right. We're not uh, perfect by any means through salvation, uh, but you are perfecting us day by day. And so we're grateful for that. Uh, We pray that as we uh, go out into our coming days or coming uh, weeks, however long you have for us, that we would be wholly reliant upon Uh, Your provision that we uh, might be able to grow in grace, as it says in your word. We're grateful for these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. And so in uh, verse three of Jude, uh, we can pick it up at verse. I'll just pick it up from uh, verse three says, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of or concerning the common salvation, it was more it was needful. (laughs) Uh, for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was uh, once delivered unto the saints. And so you have this uh, doctrine concerning the faith that had already been delivered to these individuals, but they need a little refresher. Now, (laughs) the pastor uh, probably has felt this way in his many years of ministry where he's taught certain things and dealt with certain people and you have to come back to them and kind of reiterate, give them a refresher course on this information. And that's what's happening here. Why? Because there were certain teachers that had come in and started to teach something. And guess what? Their message was resonating with these individuals. And so you see in verse four, for there were certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly man turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and dying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it goes on from there, but you see what these individuals were doing. Uh, I would say, as you look at it there, they're providing uh, the infrastructure to say that uh, grace is a license to continue on in sin, right? And this is a Potential struggle that we see talked about as is, is, uh, Paul deals with it in Romans chapter six. And remember, you have uh, your elements in place that we've talked about, I think, even here before of how you overcome your sin nature. And we can overcome because Christ is already uh, or in Christ, we've already overcame. And so as you come into chapter six, he says, well, what shall we say then? Since we're given this position that's imputed to us through the work of Jesus Christ, that we can go on and sin, that grace may abound, right? And he says, no, may it never come to be. Um, but these individuals were kind of taking this attitude that uh, grace is there for you to be able to go on doing whatever it is that you want to do. And furthermore, denying the Lord God uh, and our uh, Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, as you look at those na- names and titles, are very interesting. But any time you think of Lord, you can think of a master. And we relate to uh, our Lord Jesus Christ in that way, that we're bond slaves to him. Uh, Paul says this in uh, many uh, other scriptures that you look at. He calls himself a doulos, a bond slave uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, um, but the important piece here is that they need to earnestly contend for, or really here, the, the this word uh, has the idea of a struggle, but has the epi preposition on front of it, which means to struggle intently for something. And so you're striving for the faith. Uh, and I think I compared it or likened it to, which I often do. Uh, well, here, let's try something different. I won't use sports. <laughs> let's Let's think of a role that you're looking to get. And you start off, uh, maybe it's like Dave it started off in computers and he's all the way into the engineering portion of that and doing uh, more specific things. But when he first got into what he was doing, he wasn't where he is now. And it took a certain <clears throat> amount of knowledge, attainment and that kind of thing to get to where he needed to be in his position. And it's much the same for for all of us. If we're we're striving to get somewhere, it's going to take a little bit of effort in order for you to get there. Now, is this self-effort that you're looking at with regard to your Christian life? I would say no. You're going to end up putting yourself under law. But it does take some effort for you to recognize situations and to be able to direct your mind to where it needs to be in order for you to be able to overcome in those situations. And so, uh, be it um, any of the things that uh, we utilize to overcome our spiritual enemies, these are very important for you to, to first recognize the attack of the enemy and then put these things into, uh, into play. And we've talked about that on, on Sundays before. Uh, the way that Satan attacks you or uh, attacks each person is, is very unique. And it takes some recognition in order to understand what it is that he does. Now, I will liken it to sports here. <laughs> it's the only uh, uh, um, illustration that I've seen that comes across perfectly. As you're looking at a young quarterback, the biggest thing on any level is the speed of what's coming at him. It's hard to recognize where people are coming from. He doesn't have eyes all over his head, right? He can only look in one direction. And so he might be looking this way, for what's coming from behind? That linebacker, defensive end, ready to knock his block off. And this is very similar to what we see from Satan. He has attacks that trick you into looking one way. And then here he's coming from the backside to knock your block off. And it takes years and years of practice sometimes for us to, to I can say that from experience, in order to understand what it is that he's doing, because he's very crafty. Uh, and so you see this need to earnestly contend for the faith. Now, this is not specific just to our spiritual enemies. As we've established, there's a need for you to rely completely upon the promises of God. And as you're going through situations in life that try to direct your attention away from who you are in Christ, it takes that, that uh, knowledge of what's happened before in order to be successful in the present. And so uh, Jude is explaining this here. Again, he gets through uh, a lot of this portion here, and he takes several verses talking about these false teachers. Um, and that's most of the... Uh, um, one chapter here, but as you get down to um, pick it up in verse sixteen, well, we'll go back a little bit further just to uh, make the pastor happy. I know he likes. We were just talking about before and uh, the Lord coming back and executing judgment <laughs> at the end of the tribulation period, and so. Uh, He gets a little uh, delight out of this, so I'll indulge him here. (laughs) Go to verse 14. And it says uh, you're talking about these ones that are uh, characteristic of these activities that are taking place and these false teachers that are stirring people astray. They've been here in the past. And he talks about that early in the chapter. They're here at this present time and and they're driving these people that he's talking to off the path and they're going to be doing it in the future. And so they will always be around people that uh, teach falsely. And so what does he say here? Well, there's judgment coming from there for them. In verse 14, it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. And really that number 10,000 there uh this num this word in the Greek really has the idea of an innumerable amount, so it's not specific to ten thousand. I guess uh they would have just seen ten thousand as a high number, but it really comes from your word for myriads it's a high number of of individuals and in an in- uncountable number really in verse fifteen to execute judgment upon all and to convince all the that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds. Which they have ungodly committed, and all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouths speaking great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of an advantage. But and so he goes off of talking about these and brings the message back to the individuals that he's talking to here. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be uh, mockers in the last time. And really here you can look back to to Peter and he's got a very similar message uh, to what's being said or er, stated here. Uh, who shall walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves sensual. This idea of sensual is just your word for soulless or pertaining to the soul, Uh, having not the spirit, but you. And so he's going to contrast here these individuals who are dictated and driven by their flesh and have no other means for operation. And we've talked about here many times, Uh, In the times that I've spoken, how important it is to understand that as a believer, we have something very different than the unsaved have. They have to operate by their flesh. We don't have to. We have an option. And so we can let our spirit, which has been regenerated, dictate how our emotions operate. And it's a a process that you go through. You can uh, really cite uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 39 here uh, for further evidence of that. But it says, uh, but you, uh, beloved, building yourselves on your most holy faith, praying by the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And so uh, this uh, the faith here, it's a little obscure uh, as we've seen it in other places because it has that you're there. But the faith as it pertains to you. You have the opportunity to live out the faith and to rely totally on the promises that God has made to us as we're navigating through all the things that occur in this Christian life. And what happens? You're able to be builded up uh, and, and operating out of the spirit rather than out of the flesh. Uh, and then also to guard yourselves uh, in the love of God as we look to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what is uh, the thing I always use? Uh, We have something on the horizon that we're looking to, right? We have light at the end of the tunnel. I won't go back to the one I always use. I'm trying to diversify my illustrations. I always say uh, my dad gave us those five rules of defensive driving before we get in the car. You don't get any credit this time. (laughs) You have to look down to the future, and those things that are ahead of us. And what's ahead for us? Well, a very bright future, including the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's something that causes us to stay stable in our uh, present tense. But you see the faith working in that way. And we'll close out there as far as the faith is concerned. I want to start getting into uh, faith and activity. We could have spent uh, a much longer time on that because there's much more uh, occurrences of that term. Uh, but we just don't have the time. I think we're down to, what, uh, three or four weeks here left? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to wrap uh, this up in the next two weeks, but we'll give it our best shot. Uh, so faith in action. What I did with this is I chopped off a large portion. Uh, and we can just look at um, faith in action as it pertains to um, the Christian life as you using the faith and these acts of faith uh, that relate to that. But we first want to see how the Old Testament saints were able to uh, also utilize uh, acts of faith. Now, one thing I want to point out very clearly, and we should all understand this, is that in the Old Testament, what was the difference between them being able to act and you being able to act? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) The Holy Spirit. Very important uh, distinction to make. The Holy Spirit would come upon individuals prior to Christ ascending into heaven and sending the Holy Spirit to be resident here. But he did not reside in any person prior to that. And what is the evidence of that? As we are studying through Acts We look over into Acts chapter 19 and you understand that some of these people that have been around during Christ's earthly ministry had no idea of what the Holy Spirit even was. Remember that? Acts chapter 19. I won't go back there. Uh, But you see this, uh, that he would come upon certain individuals to act and do certain things and then he would leave. What did David say? Please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. He thought that because of the horrible sins that he had, was the, there was a the potential that the Holy Spirit wasn't going to come uh, back upon him again. And so much different in the ways that they were be able to act. But we have the Holy Spirit uh, resident here with us and indwelling in each one of us. Uh, but as you look at faith and activity we see the description uh, of acts of faith or looking at these individual acts. Uh, the similarities There are similarities to the other types of faith that we've looked at um, in, in that there's a placement of hope in an occurrence of something that is unseen, and we're going to see that here in a minute in uh, Hebrews chapter 1. And what we'll do is just look at the whole chapter of uh, Hebrews. We've done a little bit of an outline of it. And we're going to look at that as our basis for looking at some of these acts of faith in the Old Testament. Uh, but we also see that hope is directed at something that was promised by God. And these individuals are able uh, to do that as well. Now, the difference uh, from other types, uh, the origins of faith, uh, uh, faith acts differ. And so the motivation for why uh, people did what they did and, and certainly uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is is much different. <laughs> Uh, Now, the acts of faith uh, prior to grace, as we look in chapter 11 of Hebrews and go over there with me to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse one. And if you haven't done it yet, here's a good place in your notes or if you don't like writing in your Bible, Write in your notes. If you don't mind writing in your margins of your Bible, write a note there. If you like putting the notes at the front of the Bible, do that. But here's a biblical definition of what faith is. You don't even have to guess. He gives it to you. And we've tried to jam this in your head. Hint, hint. This might be another test question. (laughs) I can almost assure you that this one will be. Uh, But what is faith? In verse one, it tells you very clearly Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if you see something, you don't have to place faith in it, right? And our whole Christian life is based around this. None of the promises that have been made to us by God are we able to clearly see. We don't see our position in Christ. We've talked about this. We don't see Christ himself. We don't see any of these things that apply to us in our salvation. And yet we have faith that they are there. Uh, And so uh, our hope in those things provides uh, the substance for uh, these things that we trust. Verse 2, it says, For by it, speaking of faith, the elders obtain a good report. And so we want to look at and break down this chapter because there's several different elements of faith that are described here. Uh, with reference to the Old Testament saints. And so, as he says, the elders obtained a good report. He's going to go into descriptions of certain things that these uh, elders did in times past that uh, caused this good report or this good witness to be shown. Um, And so, uh, in verse 3, we see this mental grasping of the creative power of God that's mentioned. And so, he says, not only did they obtain a good report, but through faith, We, and so not just uh, people back then, but even we, as we're reading this, can understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made by the things which do appear. I want to break that down because there's a lot that's said there in that verse uh, that you might just brush over if you uh, were reading in the English. And so we see uh, that by the instrumentality of faith, uh mental perception uh, or things of mental perce- perception are able to be seen. And so it is understood, or this translation of the word for understand, we understand, uh, it comes from our word noeo. And this is the verbal form of our word for noose, which it has to do with the uh, processing part of your mind. And you see in my note there, the active use of the portion of the mind that allows perception of individuals based on the information that is available. And so we take information in all the time, right? Now in this day and time, more information probably than uh, people have ever taken in. And so these things have to process through a part of your mind that causes you right or wrong to perceive certain things. And so this is what's going on here. We understand by faith that the worlds were framed. Now, this idea here uh, of, of worlds were framed, this is not our word for worlds. And you see this often in scripture that this word for ion, which means ages, is translated worlds. Uh, if it were talking about the world, you could just simply say uh, this world that we're living in was framed by God. Uh, wrong. Not what he's talking about here. He's talking about ages. Now, what are ages? Ages, as you see in your notes, are a period in God's decree where he demonstrates lessons about himself to both spiritual and human beings by way of comparison and contrast. These differ from dispensations in that uh, multiple ages can occur at once. And and uh, in and and, and, and oh boy, my note is off there and the intended receiver of the message uh, uh Boy, I don't know what I was trying to say there. lost my my way. Um, but basically, these ages can occur uh, uh, concurrently. You can have more than one that are going on at the same time, as is the case uh, as you look to the future, there will be the legal age, and uh, it will be going on at the same time as the present evil age. Uh, so multiple ages can be going on at once, whereas you have dispensations that occur one after the other and dispensations deal specifically with human beings. And so God is showing something about himself on that basis. And so these ages were framed, it says here, by God. This word for framed uh, is generally to bring uh, two separated parts into strong connection with one another. In context, it looks at the ability of God to bring uh, together each age to fit it in his divine plan. And so An amazing thing that God has done here that he laid out these ages before time began. Right. He said how all of these things were going to work together before they even happen. Sounds a little like somebody that can call those things that aren't (laughs) as though they are. Right. And so he has this amazing ability. Go with me over to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse five. And we see this idea uh, here of framed just to give a little bit of an illustration of the word. back one chapter and pick it up in verse one because I don't know a good place to start getting <laughs> run on for that one but it says for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make perfect or excuse me, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. And so what is he talking about here? Really, the whole book of Hebrews is a good a uh, comparison and contrast to what they had under law and what we have under grace. And so they had to offer sacrifices year after year on behalf of their sins. And the high priest had to offer once a year as well. Uh, we have a high priest that went into heaven. He offered himself as a sacrifice once and for all. And so there was no more need after that to offer for sin. In verse five, it says, Wherefore, he cometh, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice an offering thou wouldest not or you don't desire, but a body thou has prepared for me. Or you have knitted this body together for me. Uh, This word is translated, translated, uh, created in other places. And it has just this idea of putting something together, bringing two things uh, together for the point of uh, uh, God's purpose in this context. And so as you go back over to Hebrews chapter 11 we see him using this word concerning the ages. And so he framed, it's translated here, but really you could say he brought together the ages. He took what was in God's plan and purposes and he said, this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen. Doesn't have to do with time or sequence in the way the dispensations do, but it has more to do with events that take place. And again, those can take place both at the same time. And so the worlds were framed. Um, I thought I had a note here that related to earlier in the chapter. Oh, there it is. Okay, Maybe if I just follow my notes, I'll be fine. Um, And so we see uh, that these ages were framed and they were framed by a word from God. And so he was able to speak these into existence and specifically. Again, I think pointing to the second person of the Godhead and not uh, God the Father himself. Uh, this word for word is our word "Rama." Now, those of us that have been to seminary or been out to Oregon, you recognize this word as there's a Rama Bible co- uh, college out there. Uh, and my definition here of Rama is it specifies the individual words that constitute communication rather than the putting together of words for discourse. Therefore, it didn't take an abundance of words, but simply for God to speak what he desired to be uh, to, to be with regard to ages. And they were all strung together. And so you talk about the creative power of God. He's able to speak these things uh, by an utterance. Uh, and, And of God, interestingly enough, normally when you see these uses of God, there's a definite article that you would associate with this. And we've talked about the importance of the article as we were looking at faith and the faith. Sometimes you see the God and most of those times that you see it, it's referring to the father. Well, here there is no article. And so you could really say a a divine utterance or uh, words from God or God, God's kind of words, however you want to translate that. Uh, and so note that there is no distinction provided by the normal articular use, which in most cases points to God, the father. The connection of the book, excuse me, the context of the book provides strong evidence that the son is the person in view. Go with me over to Hebrews chapter one and verse one. And I'll show you why I think what I think. Now, I'll, uh, I'll say you might have a different opinion of this, but if you want to be on the right side, I think after you see this evidence here, you'll you'll side with me. <laughs> what we see in verse 1 of chapter 1, he says, God, who at sundry times and in divers ways, or at Uh, Many different times and in many uh, different ways or intervals. Give me one second here. I need to plug in before I die. (laughs) Thankfully, I don't need the fan tonight. It's pretty cold. Uh, but a God, who at sundry times and in uh, divers manners, spake in times past unto the fathers uh, by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. And really here, through whom also he made the worlds. See that word for worlds again, that's translated the same way that it's translated in chapter 11 is our word for ages. And so he made uh, here and created. Uh, I believe the word used there is um, or, or simply our word for made or did uh, to do or to make something. And so you get the idea that here that he's the one that put these together. And so not not only did he make them, did he create them, He caused them to fit perfectly together into God's plan and purposes. And so we see the the second person of the Godhead at work. And so the son is is viewed as speaking forth, uh, basically the plan of God. Now, what is the resulting manifestation that comes along with this back in chapter 11 and verse three? And so he says, through uh, faith, as you're turning there, I'll read it. We understand that the uh, ages were framed Uh, By a word from God or a divine utterance so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which do appear. And so what a great statement concerning faith. I'm reminded again, I think I talked about this earlier uh, in the course. Uh, We had this uh, Tanzanian... what am I trying to say? Missionary. Here? Missionary. I couldn't get that out. knew it started with a M. He came and visited us when we were younger. And I, my dad probably doesn't think about the fact that when we were younger, we listened in to a lot of the conversations that they were having. And these ones were very interesting ones because he was talking about Tanzania and the things that he experienced as he went out into the outer parts in the bushes. And one of the things he said he experienced is he went out to these people that were far out there, all the way from all civilization. And what would they do? They, they they would tell them about the Lord and tell them about God and how He created all things and all of these things. And it hit the woman that He was talking to as she said, I, I knew that there had to be something. As I looked up at the sky at night, I knew there was something that had to put that there. Now, you see, that simple little faith of that woman is much far. Uh, 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 in abundance better than these scientists who have no idea of how things were created, but pretend uh, to know how they came to be. And so the things which aren't seen, you place faith in the fact that someone put those things there. And it's an amazing thing to see when, when people can have that kind of faith. Um, And we see also that the things which are, are, are so this statement here concerning the things which are seen, uh interestingly enough, as you're looking here, our word for the thing seen is your word blepo, which usually has the idea of something being uh, glanced at or, or looked at for a short amount of time. And so the things being glanced upon uh, emphasizes, I think, the temporal nature of the things that are here. These things that are on this earth, they're not going to be around that long. Right. We see oh, over in Second Peter that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And so these are all uh, very temporary things. And it says that they were not, uh, or that they were, uh, the things which are seen um, were not made. And so this idea of did not come to be really here. And so it's not the word for created, nor the normal word, uh, that we just saw for to do or to make. Here we see the word genemai, which had the, had, carries the idea of generation or something coming to be uh, with a negative particle. And so it means they did not come into existence by things that are seen. And so as we understand that God made all things, it's very clear to see uh, that the one we're placing our faith in, you can't see him. And he brought these things into existence. And you, by your faith, understand that, as we're going to see the same is true of these uh, Old Testament saints that follow. Um, and then in verse four, he starts uh, in and gets to talking about Abel. And so he says, by faith, and really here by uh, again, the instrument of faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained a witness that he was righteous. Uh, God testifying of His gifts, and by by it, He being uh, dead yet speaketh. Now, an interesting thing, and we <laughs> people that are at church who've heard all of my stuff by now, so it's hard to get anything new in here for you guys. But I always wondered what was the what was the big travesty in what Cain did? Why why did God not accept His sacrifice, but He accepted Abel's? And you understand here that there was obviously a standard set forth that God had. And did he give this to them? Or did, were they just offering based on what they thought was the right thing to do? Well, there's some evidence that by God uh, taking the plants, uh, or not keeping the plants on Adam and Eve and giving them those skins to cover, that there was always the intimation there that uh, blood was necessary as a sacrifice for sin. And yet, uh, how did Abel offer Was it by that knowledge? Well, here it says by faith he offered what he was supposed to offer. Now, it could have been that he was placing faith in the fact that God was able to take away his sin by whatever the sacrifice was. I just give you some things to, to think about there. But he offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Cain's sacrifice was upon the basis, and we know the motivation by why he sacrificed what he did, right? He said, here's what I do. Here's the best thing that I can give you, because I do it. I'm a gardener, and I've always likened it to people today. You can see it very clearly in today's time. I play the drums, so I'm going to go to church and play the drums for God. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Use the Seinfeldism there. <laughs> Nothing wrong with playing the drums for God, right? The problem comes, where is your motivation? Are you saying that because I can do this, that this is what God wants me to do? Or did God say he wanted you to do this and this is what you do? There's a big difference there. It seems very subtle, but it's a huge difference. People that go out and and feed poor people and do all of these other things. Are you doing it because you think it's the right thing to do? Or are you doing it because God asked you to do it? And you're being led by the Holy Spirit in what you do. And there's the difference. Uh, And so Cain, as he offered, it was from his own motivation, his own justification, his own desire to declare himself righteous before God. And you see it play out right after the fact that he slew him. In fact, let's let's go back over into the Old Testament here. Won't hurt to look at the context really quick. And back in Genesis chapter four. And the reaction of Cain is very telling to where his heart was concerning this whole matter. Now, if his heart had been in the right place and he had uh, simply didn't know that what he was doing was not the right thing, what would he have done? He would have taken the sacrifice that God gave him right there at the door. He said, there's a sin offering lying right at your door for you to sacrifice if you haven't done the right thing. Uh, pick it up here in um, verse 3. It says, in the process of time, well, go back to verse 2 just to give you the um, center of what they do and, and why this was included. And so it says, and, uh, she, speaking of Eve, bare again his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought... Uh, of the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. And Abel, uh, he also brought the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel's offering, or or unto Abel and to his offering. And so this word for respect, uh, I believe, is our word that has the idea to look upon something, right? And so as you look at Cain or Abel bringing this sacrifice to God, God looked on it. And he was pleased. But as you see the opposite reaction as it comes to Cain, he's going to show Cain his back to his offering. He had no respect toward it. Uh, they say you're not supposed to show your back to the crowd in public speaking. But I did that for effect. <laughs> and so we see in um, in verse five, it says, but unto Cain and to his offering, He had no respect, or he did not look on it. Um, And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And so, have you ever seen someone who's doing the right thing that reacts in a bad way to something happening? Usually when people are in the right mindset and things don't go the right way, especially if you're talking spiritual things, they're going to say, maybe this wasn't God's desire, let me do the right thing. But no, Cain's reaction was a negative one. And he was very wroth and his countenance fell. In verse six, and the Lord said unto Cain, why are you wroth? Good good thing to ask someone that's angry. (laughs) What are you angry about? (laughs) Why are you wroth? And why is your countenance fallen? (laughs) If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, Sin lieth at the door. (coughs) Now, this is not necessarily a great translation here, and you don't really get the full flavor of what he's saying here. He says, if you doeth not well, a sin offering lieth at the door. In other words, there's a sheep right there outside the door. Go and kill him and sacrifice him, and you're good to go. Was this what Cain wanted to do? He said, no. You want a sacrifice? I got one for you. Don't believe me? Let's read on. Uh, in verse 8, it says, And Cain talked with his brother, or Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his uh, Abel, his brother, and slew him. See that word for slew is not just our word for... Uh, I, I remember when I was in Sunday school, they had little pictures... And uh, Cain has got a club in his hand, and Abel's laying over there on the ground. Or they got Cain over there choking Abel out, or all of these different things. You know what this word for slew means? It's the same word that's given where you cut their neck in the same manner that they would do for a sacrifice. That's why I say that Cain told him, you want a sacrifice? Here's your sacrifice. It's my brother. And so uh, he killed him. (laughs) Now, excuse me, Um, in verse 9, it says, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is uh, Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? And he said, "Uh, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth out to me from the ground. Excuse me. And so he goes into the the curse there, but this, this act from Cain, is a very self-motivated one. But you see, the act from Abel was in simple (laughs) obedience to what he saw that God was desiring for him to offer. And what is the result? Uh, He is seen as having acted out of faith. And we see that back over in Hebrews chapter 11. And so as we go back over there, Hebrews chapter 11, and I believe we're at verse 4. Um, and so this idea here that by, uh, uh, which he obtained uh, a witness that he was righteous. And so we understand that righteous righteousness can only come out from faith, even in the old Testament, as you look back, uh, and we see it from Abraham, as you look over in Romans chapter four. And I don't want to go back over there again, cause we're going to get there in a few uh, verses as we get down to Abraham. But this idea that Uh, Those in the Old Testament, too, were justified out from faith, out from these individual acts of faith. And it's uh, certainly here uh, that Abel was uh, declared righteousness based on faith. Uh, God testifying of his gifts. And by it, uh, he being dead, yet speaketh. And so what do we see here? As a result of, of Abel's act, even though he died, Uh, The thing that he did in his life still testifies after the fact that he's gone. Uh, Verse five, we see that by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for uh, before his translation. He had his testimony That he pleased God. And so you see, these acts that uh, Enoch did in his life really is what it's looking at here more than the act of the translation. But the acts that he did uh, in his life related directly to things that were done by faith. Now, I'm not going to say that everything that uh, uh, Enoch did was out from faith, uh, as we don't have a lot of information concerning Enoch in Scripture. But uh, we do have this this verse that relates to that as well. And in verse six, it says, "But without faith, it is impossible to please God, for he that com- uh, uh, cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him." Uh, and so, as you look back in the Old Testament again, there's many examples that are pointed out of individuals that were just simply obedient to the things that God was asking. They were looking for someone. They found him, and they were obedient to the things that he asked. God came out and, and found Abraham, told him, look in the sky. And we're going to go into this. So I don't want to get into this too much, but look in the sky. And the verse told him to leave his land. Now imagine you guys. In this time that we're in, know nothing about Scripture and these things that we're reading. Imagine that some entity comes down and is talking with you and just tells you, hey, leave your family, leave everybody that you have, and go to a land that I'm going to show you. Not a land that I've shown you already, a land that I'm going to show you. Now, you guys can say just based upon your understanding of Scripture That you would do it, right? (laughs) But do you think that you guys would be willing to do something like that? Go over to California. (laughs) No, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna be able to do it. Just go west, young man. (laughs) I think we would have a hard time doing many of those things in this time with the knowledge that we have, much less God asking Abraham to leave behind his father and his family and go to a land that he was about to show up. Not a land that that I definitely can tell you has this this and this and this and this and this. How many times do we have trouble simply listening to what we know God is telling us to do by the leading of the Holy Spirit? Right. I I've had trouble many times with with speaking was one of them. There were many years had no desire for any of this. This right here. Not at all. And I was like Moses. I said, what will I say, God? (laughs) I'm I'm shy. I'm not a I'm not a public person. How am I going to do this? Right. And God has to keep pushing you in the direction that he desires for you to go. And eventually it happens. But I will say, despite my hesitancy at the beginning, at the end when I decided this was God's will, I think I made one of the biggest faith choices that I've had to make in my whole life. And going across the country to a place that I knew wasn't a place unknown, but with no certain job, no certain place to stay. And God connected every single thing To allow that to fall into place. So we see that he's faithful. But we're going to continue to see this with these Old Testament saints. Uh, In verse 7 and verse 8 you see Noah. uh, Now I want to uh, Noah and then Abraham. I want to leave off there uh, because my notes ran out. And I don't want you guys to get too far behind. Uh, So we'll leave off there. And I'm going to get you guys page 11 next week. Uh, But we'll come back um, on this same topic. And hopefully next week be able to close out. Uh, the Acts of Faith, it's going to be some, now that the pastor's told me we only have two weeks left, I think what we're going to have to do is is fly through this part and hit on the next part. Maybe I'll make your test a little shorter than what it would have been for the last week, and uh, or maybe I'll pull one of the pastor's numbers and just give you the test and let you do it and uh, grab it from you when the next uh, quarter starts, but we'll see.